again, everyone. I'm Mark Renee, and this is Play by Play with me. I'm the me, and the play by play usually is provided by my guests as we spend some quality quarantine time talking back to the voices in my head phones. Today, it's volume one, episode 13. What a thrill! As we're joined by the great Kenny Albert. You've seen him on NBC, Fox, you've heard him on Westwood One, you've seen and heard him on the MSG Network. Kenny, first of all, thank you for doing this. And uh, how are you? How's the family holding up? All good, Mark, on our end. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for the kind introduction. And uh, episode 13, so I guess unlike many of the hotels we normally stay in, you did not skip from 12 right to 14, I guess. Now, you know what? I have no superstitions whatsoever. And if I did, they'd all be blown up by everything that's been going on for the last 10 weeks. So serious question. on a not so serious topic, we start things off, but this is the time of year that you are usually making like an actor with two first names. I'm referring to Steve Martin in his role of Neil Page in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, because usually the middle of May, you're involved with the NHL playoffs, either on TV or radio or both. Um, If not the NBA playoffs with the Knicks, you have Major League Baseball obligations and uh, on top of all that, this being an even year, uh, you would be getting ready for the Winter Olympics, or I beg your pardon, for the Summer Olympics in Tokyo, which obviously have been postponed. So as busy a guy as Kenny Albert usually is on May 18th, what the heck he up to? Well, that's a great question. And uh, normally this would be a, a hectic time of the year, like you said, during the NHL playoffs from mid-April until early June, uh, crisscrossing the country, especially over the first two rounds, working various series. And if the Rangers had made it to the playoffs this year, uh, bouncing back and forth between Rangers radio and NBC and NBCSN assignments. But uh, instead, it's day 68 of the quarantine uh, here in northern New Jersey at home and uh, have been home since March 12th. Uh, The last event that I worked, Mark, was March 11th. It was a Rangers game in Denver, Colorado against the Avalanche. And the trip actually started on Monday. We flew with the team to Dallas, played a game against the Stars on Tuesday, March 10th. And things started to take a little bit of a turn uh, earlier in that week. Uh, For example, in both Dallas on Tuesday and Denver on Wednesday at the morning skate where all of the media members, broadcasters normally uh, go into the locker room after practice, conduct interviews. Well, on March 10th and 11th, the locker rooms were closed. Right. Um, we were not able to uh, surround the coach as we normally do, David Quinn of the Rangers, and stick our microphones and audio devices in his face from about six inches away. Instead, he was sitting at a table, and we had to place our recording devices on that table. So, um, obviously, we had all heard and read about the coronavirus over the previous few months, but it really started to uh, – hit home during those two games. And then it was right before the game against the Avalanche. Uh, I was up in the broadcast booth in Denver and the report started to come out about the Rudy Gobert situation with the Utah Jazz. The NBA subsequently uh, putting a pause on their season. Uh, They played the game that night. Uh, The Rangers wound up getting a point. They tied it late, lost the game in overtime. And bit of a funny story when I, when I think back, I was scheduled to fly the next morning from Denver to Miami on Thursday morning for a Knicks telecast on Friday. And then I was going back out to Arizona to meet the Rangers for a Saturday game. Wow. So about an hour before the game in Denver, I received word that the NBA has postponed uh, at that point, uh, or at least put the season on pause. So all of a sudden I did not have to get on that flight to Miami the next morning. I was going to fly with the Rangers to Arizona that night. The only problem was my suitcase was still back at the hotel because I was not scheduled to travel. So uh, a very nice woman on our crew offered to go take my hotel key, gather my belongings, which she did. Wow. Brought them back to the arena because at that point, nobody was thinking that this might happen with the NHL uh, within the next 12 hours, which of course it did. Right. So, uh, the Rangers made the decision not to fly to Arizona that night. So now I have my luggage at the arena like everybody else. We all headed back to the hotel, checked back in. And then the next morning when we left for the airport in Denver, 
we still did not know whether we were going to fly to Arizona for the next game or back home to New York. We all figured it would be New York. Right. And as we were waiting on the tarmac, the NHL owners, board of governors held their conference call and we did wind up flying back to New York. And uh, I've been home, like I said, since late afternoon, uh, Thursday, March 12th. So you got home fairly easy fashion compared to some of the other guys. Um, obviously, those who are from across the Atlantic Ocean uh, may have had uh, a more difficult time. But as far as you know, because we're hearing now that maybe we'll have some sort of finish to the season in both the NBA and the NHL, but I would think it would be uh, exponentially more difficult to try and regroup everybody from hockey who has gone off to all four corners of the globe. What do you know about any ability or inability for these players to get back to be able to finish the season if indeed that's what they decide to do? Well, I don't have any inside information. I'm, I'm reading and hearing the same things that uh, you and the listeners are. And I know there are so many uh, scenarios that have been thrown out there, uh, not only regarding the NHL, but the NBA and Major League Baseball and the NFL. And uh, the latest that I read regarding the potential return of hockey would include uh, possibly 24 teams and some kind of a playoff in four right. different cities. But uh, to be honest, I really don't know much other than than what I read, things seem to change every day. Not sure how that would work with, with the travel restrictions. So uh, we'll all keep our fingers crossed, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, now obviously you don't have to worry about the Olympics this summer. They've been pushed back to next, and we'll cross our fingers and toes that that actually happens. Um, but in the unlikely event, Kenny, that everything comes back at the same time, you've got hockey, you've got baseball, and at some point, hopefully for the NFL fans, that league too, where does Kenny Albert's attention go first? <laughs> you know, I hadn't really thought about that yet. Obviously, we're all just hoping that everybody stays safe and stays healthy and that uh, once things can come back uh, close to normal, uh, as close to normal as we're going to have in the, in the very near future, um, I, I guess in a sense, it could resemble uh, what I've gone through during the month of October, the last several years. <laughs> Uh, normally, and like you said, Mark, it could happen again when sports do in fact return, but normally up until 2020, October was the only time period when all four sports would take place simultaneously. Uh, the NFL regular season, the NHL regular season, the baseball postseason, and the NBA preseason. The regular season usually starts around October 20th. So I've had some instances over the last several Octobers where I have worked uh, four different sports over the course of seven or eight days. So I guess that's something that, that could become the norm over the next few years if, in fact, um, hockey, for example, does come back in the summer and, and football starts and baseball comes back. And there's always the chance that next season could get uh, pushed back a bit in right. hockey and basketball if they do finish the 2019-20 season, perhaps – the 2021 regular season doesn't start until December and then it could go until July next year. So uh, it could lead to some crazy scenarios. It could lead to some really fun scenarios for sports fans um, watching their favorite teams on, on television who could all be playing at the same time. You mentioned uh, the four sports in seven or eight days. If memory serves though, um, 10 or so years ago, maybe it was Oh nine. Didn't you do four sports in four days? You had baseball, football, basketball, and hockey? There, there's a slight asterisk on that. I did. But the baseball game, I was not in the play-by-play -play role. I was doing post-game interviews. Okay. The Yankees-Angels uh, after game six of the American League Championship Series. Right. I, I did work a football game in Pittsburgh. It was Brett Favre with the Vikings and the Steelers. It was a great game on a Sunday afternoon in October 2009 in Pittsburgh. Flew back to New York immediately following the game, went to Yankee Stadium, handled the post-game interviews for that game, and then worked a Ranger game the next day. Uh, there was an off day Tuesday and then a Knicks game, I think, in Miami on Wednesday. So it was four sports in the span of four days. But as far as play-by-play, -play, I think uh, my personal record is four in seven or eight days, which happened, uh, I'm pretty sure, both in October 2018 and then 2019 again. That's still crazy. That's crazy. I, I think when the Yankees played the Phillies in the World Series, I might have done three events in one day. Um, I had the marathon that morning, 
the Giants played the Eagles, and then the Yankees played the Phillies. Wow. I, I know I did attend as a fan the final game of that World Series in 2009 with my daughter, who was 10 at the time. She's now okay. 20. Um, I only attended the one event, but I did fly back from Vancouver that day. The Rangers wow. had played in Vancouver the night before. I flew home and pretty much uh, met my wife and daughter in a parking lot. My wife dropped my daughter off at a restaurant uh, on the New Jersey side of the GW Bridge. She brought me some a change of clothes, a blanket. <laughs> it was pretty cold that night, and then we went right to Yankee Stadium for the game. Oh, my. Um, obviously, aside from the work you're missing, um, what else in, in this just ridiculously bizarre time in all of our lives are you missing? Well, I think just the interaction with, with colleagues and friends. Um, you know, we've been pretty isolated, as I'm sure most listeners have been. Um, you know, on one hand, it's been great to spend family time that a lot of us uh, normally would not have the opportunity to do. My kids are 20 and 17. The older one was in Australia when, when all of this craziness actually started on March 11th and 12th, and she flew home about a week later. She was studying in an abroad program. Uh, younger one is a junior in high school. So we've been home for the last 60 plus days. And especially with my crazy travel schedule, um, I'm never usually home for four or five days in a row, right. aside from the summer. So um, we've had, as we tape this on May 18th, uh, 67 consecutive dinners at home together. And I usually probably eat dinner at home five or six times a month, if that, yeah. during uh, September through early June. So uh, there have been a lot of positives. Uh, fortunately, we're all healthy. Um, like I said, a lot of family time. have caught up on some TV shows and movies and books, which I might not normally have the opportunity to do. Um, I've taken a lot of walks, usually about an hour each day. We have a Peloton bike, so uh, I've certainly exercised a lot more than normal when life is so hectic on the road. So uh, there have definitely been some positives, but miss the interaction with, with friends and colleagues. Um, we've had some Zoom get-togethers. Um, the, what, what really was surreal and bizarre at the start of this period, and I've kind of gotten used to it, is not knowing when that next assignment is and not preparing for the next assignment. Because mm -hmm. for most of the year, I could sit down in August and I pretty much can tell you where I will be for the next seven months, every hour of every day. And there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. And now that's not the case. You wake up every morning and it's sort of like Groundhog's Day every day. I was born on Groundhog Day, by the way, February 2nd. So I come wow. out, try to find my shadow, crawl back in every year <laughs> on my birthday. But every day is kind of the same. And uh, I certainly look forward to that time when uh, we do have those events and broadcasts and games to prepare for once again. Peloton, by the way, has been my salvation. I've been on uh, 28 days in a row now. And I think uh, 40 of the last 42. There you go. Well, uh we, we have the bike. Uh, we're a big Peloton family. One of my wife's good friends is one of the instructors uh, right from the start five or six years ago. So uh, you may hear shout outs to uh, my family every so often. When nice. You're on Peloton bike. Nice. Good stuff. Um, your daughters generally don't have dad around this time of year, as you mentioned. Um, and they're of an age where, you know, most kids having dad around and having mom around most of the time is a drag. And I know that's a term that our generation uses, but the current uh, gen doesn't. But uh, how are they handling having mom and dad around all the time? Uh, I'd have to say very well. Um, dad probably is the brunt of most of the jokes w within the household. <laughs> but uh, I have to say, for the most part, you know, not being able to uh, see friends up close. They have had some visits while social distancing. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, at that age, they, they do become so used to their independence, whether at, at college or studying abroad or even during the high school days. So it's definitely been a bit of a transition and certainly will be a time in their lives that they will look back on and tell their children and grandchildren about. But I'd have to say overall, it, it's been uh, definitely a positive experience on their end as well. I don't think they're too sick of us yet, only at certain times. Right. Well, it's only day 68. Right, exactly. Let's wait until May 72 and see how it's going. <laughs> we'll check back with you later in the week. Um, I do want to talk about your career, which has uh, obviously um, come as part of a broadcasting family. Um, there are the Alberts, there are the Bucks and the Brennemans and the Carries and, and a few other uh, 
royal families, if you will. I hope you don't mind me saying that, but uh, nope, I certainly nope. consider you guys a royal family of broadcasting, and uh, certainly in New York, if not nationally, and you've all had an impact um, nationally. You've been at this, I, I still can't believe, you know, I was on that Zoom call with you, uh, Dave Leno hosted last week, and I still can't believe that you've been on national scene now for 30 years. That's, to me, that's insane, because I'm only 29. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was 28. I'm getting younger, as uh, I'm like Benjamin Button. Um, but but how strange is it for you to look back and, and think that it's 30 years now? I can't believe how time flies. Uh, yesterday, as we tape this, yesterday, May 17th, was the 30th anniversary of my college graduation. Can't believe that's been 30 years. And basically a month later, I uh, drove down to Baltimore, very fortunate to get hired by the Baltimore Skipjacks of the American Hockey League at that time, and uh, started a professional career uh, one month after college graduation, which was 30 years ago yesterday. So uh, it is hard to believe. Uh, you know, I still look back on those two years in Baltimore. Wouldn't trade those in for anything. Was hired to do radio, but had a hand in just about all other departments in the, in the team office, public relations, marketing, sales. And then once the season started in October of 90, uh, four, five, six, 10-hour bus rides with the team, but just such great memories. Um, our assistant coach was Barry Trotz, who's now the coach of the Islanders, and I was assigned uh, with Barry. We were road roommates on the road for two years on every road trip to save money. They put the radio guy and the assistant coach together in a sure. hotel room. Uh, Joel Quenville played for our team for about 40 games during the 90-91 season. So when I look back, uh, Barry and Joel are now two of the top four winningest coaches in National Hockey League history, which is hard to believe as well. And uh, after two years in Baltimore, uh, moved about 30 miles south, handled Washington Capitals uh, home games on television for three years and also had the opportunity to fill in on some other sports, a couple of Orioles games a year, Washington Bullets games, college basketball, and uh, some other ACC and CAA events. And uh, really the, the huge break at the time was in 93, late 93, early 94, when Rupert Murdoch comes in and swipes away the NFC package from mm -hmm. CBS, who had had it for 35, 37 years. And at the time, you know, I, I loved doing hockey. That was my goal, was to do hockey on the radio, which I had done for a couple of years and then moved over to the cable TV side in D.C. And never really – thought that I would have an opportunity to work the other sports on such a regular basis, especially with the overlap. And at the time, CBS and NBC had the Sunday afternoon NFL packages and all of the play-by-play -play announcers were veterans, legends in their 40s and 50s and 60s who have been doing it forever. And Fox comes in and the executives made the decision, we're going to hire a couple of veteran crews. Uh, legends, Pat Summerall and John Madden on the number one crew and Dick Stockton and Matt Millen on the second crew. And they brought a lot of us out to LA for auditions. And I'm 26 at the time, Joe Buck's 25. Tom Brenneman's in his late twenties. Kevin Harlan's probably in his early thirties. And the four of us wind up getting hired as wow. the number three through six play-by-play -play announcers. And again, we're, we're all totally in the right place at the right time. If Rupert Murdoch doesn't, uh, bid crazy money for the NFC rights. None of us are ever doing NFL games. Yeah, That led to working hockey games on Fox and baseball games on Fox and in later years, boxing on Fox and uh, several different sports. And I love the variety, but uh, thinking back, uh, we were all the right age and the right place at the right time. And I'm proud to say that myself, Joe and Tom are still at Fox 26 years later. Kevin Harlan's had a great career at CBS and Turner after leaving Fox after a couple of seasons. So uh, that was huge, uh, getting the opportunity to uh, start from the ground floor with Fox Sports. They did not even have a sports division until right. uh, late 93, early 94. And then in 95, I wound up moving back to New York after five tremendous years in the state of Maryland. Uh, loved every minute down there and had the opportunity to start with MSG Network and the Rangers on the radio side. And then that led to uh, over the last 10 years, about 20 Knicks games per season on the TV side as well. 
Yeah, unfortunately, Mike Breen has uh, other obligations sometimes, so you you have to pick up his crumbs. Well, you know, MSG's so great about it. Uh, with myself for the last 25 years, allowing me to miss Ranger games during the NFL season. Uh, same with Sam Rosen, who's worked NFL on Fox Games for many, right. many years, and then Mike Breen, who's the voice of the NBA on ESPN and ABC. So when he misses games to work his national events, I'm the beneficiary on the other end and get to slide in next to Walt Clyde Frazier. It's, uh, it's an amazing crew. Um, you know, I've asked everybody who's been um, on the podcast uh, who they wanted to be when they grew up in a sports casting sense. Um, and obviously, uh, there's nobody else in your particular circumstance who would be following in the footsteps of their dad um, that we've had on. Obviously, we talked about Tom Brenneman and, and Chip Carey and, and, and Joe Buck but um, haven't had them on yet. We're, we're working on that. But um, did Kenny Albert want to be dad when he grew up, or, or was there somebody else um, that you had in your sights that you wanted to be the next dot, dot, dot? Maybe Wayne Gretzky, but I knew that was never going to happen. <laughs> I did play club hockey in high school and college, but uh, never came close to reaching uh, any high level on the ice. Um, but, you know, of course, it was just such a great childhood growing up. Uh, going to games and tagging along to the WNBC Channel 4 studios at 30 Rock and really learning via osmosis. It wasn't like he sat me down in a classroom and started teaching lessons. I right. would just soak it all in. And when I was old enough, started to do the stats for him at Rangers games and then Knicks games after that. And, um, you know, also my uncles, Alan and Steve, who were broadcasters for a long time. Uh, they both did hockey and basketball and boxing. Uh, Steve did – the Jets on radio for a couple of years and did the Mets on TV and radio for a few years yep. as well, replacing Lindsey Nelson. He was really the first uh, to break into the, uh, you know, the Mets had the unbelievable triumvirate of Bob Murphy, Lindsey Nelson, and Ralph Kiner. And when Lindsey Nelson moved back West in 79, uh, Steve was the first announcer to step in right. aside from that original group of three who had been with the Mets since 1962. Yeah. Um, so I always joke that the, the gatherings at our house for birthdays and holidays we're like the first all sports radio station. I would, <laughs> I would sit there and listen and they would tell stories and it was great. Um, also enjoyed listening to other broadcasters. We didn't have cable TV until I was 17 or 18 years old. Our area on Long Island was not wired for it. So I was a big radio listener and uh, guys like Doc Emmerich and Howie Rose, who was early in his career at that point, I would listen to all nine New York sports teams. The Devils mm -hmm. moved to uh, New Jersey in 82 and Larry Hirsch and Fred Shiro. I have great memories of, listening to those broadcasts as well. So uh, uh, I, I would listen to all of them. I, I would position the kitchen radio facing a certain <laughs> direction, and I would pick up Hartford Whaler games. And I've told Chuck Caton the story on many occasions, who's the legendary broadcaster for the Whalers and then Carolina Hurricanes. And I would even sit there in the kitchen and listen to Hartford Whaler games for two and a half hours. Wow. Yeah, we've been very lucky over the years to have the – the elite of the elite calling our games. Um, is hockey still your favorite of the bunch? You know, I love them all, and it's tough to rank the sports, and I've been so fortunate to work in all four now for a long time. But um, hockey was certainly my favorite growing up. Like I said, I played club hockey in, in both high school and college. Little known fact, Mark, I, I didn't score many goals, but I scored the first goal in the history of the NYU club hockey team back in 86. How about that? Goal number one. Where's the puck? Uh, don't have the puck. I don't think I have the puck. But it was it was at the old Sky Rink, 33rd between 9th and 10th, 16th okay. floor of the building against the College of Staten Island, a weak wrist shot from the right circle that somehow got past a highly screened goaltender for the first goal uh, in NYU history. But the hockey was – that was my goal, to do hockey on the radio and um, have done probably close to between 1,500 and 2,000 NHL games now at this point. Uh, with the Capitals, the Rangers, um, NBC, filled in on some Islander games back in my early days. Right. Um, you know, there's also nothing like 1 o'clock on a Sunday when an NFL game gets underway and you're broadcasting the game on television. And I always enjoy uh, basketball and baseball as well. So I'm giving the diplomatic answer here, but <laughs> I'd certainly have to put the hockey playoffs right up there with, with anything that I do for sure. All right, so let me ask it this way. When the Kenny Albert play-by-play uh, -play highlight reel is posted onto whatever format 
or whatever platform we post it, what's the first call that goes on your tape? Well, there are probably five or six that come to mind. Um, I did the Rangers winning the cup in 94 for NHL radio. I was not working in New York yet, but I did get to call that entire series. That would have to be up there. Uh, the U.S. women winning the gold medal in Pyeongchang in women's hockey in, in 2018. That was just a, an amazing moment, and I had the opportunity to call that game, which went to a shootout. Uh, the Jose, Jose Bautista bat flip game in 2015 mm. with okay. Fox uh, called that game, and that's probably the one I get asked about the most, ironically, considering over the course of a year I do fewer baseball games than, than the other sports, but that moment is one that I get asked about um, all the time. Uh, in football, San Francisco, New Orleans, a divisional playoff game in 2012, four touchdowns in the last four minutes, mm -hmm. Drew Brees, Alex Smith going back and forth. That was of all the football games I worked. That's probably at the top of the list as far as excitement and uh, what the game meant. There were over 40 million people watching it on, on TV. Um, I worked one Super Bowl, the international world feed, uh, the, the most recent Giants Patriots Super Bowl 46 with Joe Theismann had the opportunity to call that game. And, uh, in a non-play-by-play -play role, uh, did the post-game interviews for the Yankee Red Sox, the two Game 7s in 2003 and four. So I okay. uh, wasn't doing play-by-play -play for those games, but I was in the clubhouse interviewing all of the uh, stars after the game. So I'd probably have to throw that in as well. I had the Victor Cruz 99-yard touchdown catch for the Giants against the Jets. Right. Uh, Christmas weekend, 2011. Uh, did a lot of giant games during those two Super Bowl runs. Uh, game in Buffalo in a hailstorm, Ahmad Bradshaw had an 88-yard touchdown run. I had uh, Terrell Owens stopping on the Cowboys star back in 2000 mm, when he right. was in the 49ers. I had the memorable Michael Vick uh, touchdown run in Minnesota, zigzagging 45 yards downfield, went up the tunnel uh, after he ended that game in overtime. So there, there's a number of games that come to mind. Uh, the Rangers run to the Stanley Cup final in 2014. Uh, so many Game 7 victories during uh, the Henrik Lundqvist era. Game mm. 7 in Pittsburgh that year. Game 6 at the Garden when they beat Montreal one nothing to advance to the Stanley Cup final. So I know I gave you more than five, but th those would certainly have to be on the list. Um, also, uh, NBC hockey playoff games, overtime games. Uh, in St. Louis, Pat Maroon, game seven overtime, double mm -hmm. overtime last year, um, triple overtime game involving Anaheim and Chicago in 2015, LA and Chicago game seven of their Western Conference final in 2014, which went to overtime. So I probably have to narrow it down, but those would be the ones that certainly come to mind. It's remarkable. I don't remember what I had for breakfast two hours ago, and you're not reading off a piece of paper. <laughs> not reading off anything. And also a 20 inning, you might remember this one, 10 years ago, uh, Mets and Cardinals, 20 inning game back in 2010, and mm -hmm. never, never left the booth to go to the men's room once. Hung in yeah. there for six hours, and I think it was six hours, 53 minutes. Wow. And who did you do that game with? With Tim McCarver. Wow. Hall of Famer. Who probably did get up a couple of times. Only once or twice. Really? Yeah, he was. Uh, he he did not have to leave the booth very often either that day. Wow. So let me ask. Um, a lot of people have been watching these rebroadcasts. You know these these great moments in franchise history that everybody's been reliving. Um, and I'm talking to play by play guys, and and the bulk of you um, try and convince me that you're not doing play by play when you're watching these things on TV. Kenny Albert, uh, Truth Time. Are, when you're watching, you know, the Rangers' greatest hits and the Islanders' greatest hits um, and some of these Yankee and Mets classics, do you find yourself even just a little bit calling some play-by-play -play to, to try and keep that muscle memory? Even before this period, I think uh, for those of us who do play-by-play, -play, when you watch a game that you're not working, sometimes you do certain sequences in your head. Uh, I'm not doing it out loud into a microphone, but uh, definitely in my head at times. Um, they have replayed a number of games that I've worked on various networks, hockey, football, baseball, basketball, and I've caught a couple of them. And, and I could do this with some of my longtime color analysts as well. When I go back and watch a game from five, six, ten years ago, I can almost predict what either myself or the color analyst is going to say next. I do have that uh, skill as well. I don't know if that would earn me anything working at a carnival, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, the guys that I've worked with, 
for a long time, I, I can often predict when I go back and watch those old games, what's coming out of their mouth next. All right. You mentioned the Rangers and, and they were in the midst of an interesting season. Henrik Lundqvist, there were trade rumors. Would he stay? Would he go? He wound up staying, but uh, it was a three headed goalie situation when the season went on pause between uh, Lundqvist and Georgiev and, and the kid, Igor Shosturkin, who really came out of nowhere. I don't think anybody expected that he would have the kind of rookie season that he was having. So how do you think, um, let's work up the assumption that there is uh, no resumption of the season. Um, otherwise, we will find out. But how do you think this season would have played out for the Rangers? Well, they were on a roll. They were 11 points out at the All-Star break in late January. And by the time the season came to a halt, they were within two, three points over that uh, final couple of days stretch. Um, I think they have a really exciting team with youth and speed and skill. Uh, signing Artemi Panarin last summer was a huge free agent signing. He was having an MVP-type year. Uh, Mika Zibanejad uh, stepped up his game tremendously. He was on a tear. He had the five-goal game against Washington. He had scored a goal, I think, in 12 out of 13 games during that stretch prior to the stoppage. And then you look at uh, some of the young defensemen, uh, Tony D'Angelo and Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren and what they were able to do this year. Jacob Truba coming over from Winnipeg and uh, Chris Kreider, who unfortunately suffered the broken foot a couple of games prior to the break, signed to a new seven-year deal. So he's going to be a Ranger for the long term. Uh, guys like Pavel Buchnevich and Ryan Strom and Capo Kako, only 19 years of age. He's only going to get better. And then you mentioned the goaltending. Uh, with Henrik Lundqvist, he single-handedly uh, led this organization uh, through about a seven- or eight-year stretch. Uh, when they were hard-pressed to score goals, and they would win games one nothing and 2-1. You know, people forget pretty easily that the Rangers missed the playoffs for seven straight years until mm -hmm. Lundqvist came in in 05-06. And that season started a stretch of 11 out of 12 years in the playoffs. And I can honestly say four or five or six of those years, they would not have been a postseason team without his goaltending. There were so many of those seasons that came down to the last game, the last week, and they would just squeak in and uh, wound up going to the conference finals three times in 2012, 14 and 15 Stanley cup final once. And, uh, now you have the two young goaltenders who you mentioned, both 24. Georgiev has been up for a couple of years. Shesterkin, who took the league by storm uh, once he was called up in, in January. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how the situation plays out once they do resume. But uh, it's a good problem to have. Yeah. Um, you know, Shesterkin has only played 12 games in the NHL, so it's a small sample size. But he's had such great success at every level, uh, the KHL in Russia, the American Hockey League, and now in the NHL. So I think uh, under the leadership of John Davidson and Jeff Gordon and Chris Drury and David Quinn, who's the perfect coach, in my opinion, for this group, I think they have a real bright future ahead. Your memory is a lot better than mine, as you have evidenced uh, today. Um, that one year they didn't make the playoffs, if my memory serves, and again, it may not, wasn't that the year they lost the finale to the Flyers in a shootout? And you do have a great memory. It was 2010, and I'm reminded about it often by my uh, broadcast partner on NBC, Brian Boucher, who was the goaltender right. Flyers mm -hmm. in that game and wound up stopping two out of three in the shootout. Flyers scored a couple on Henrik Lundqvist. And I told Brian the story when we started working together a couple of years later. Um, not that I was rooting for this to happen because – uh, when the Rangers make the playoffs, it's more games for all the broadcasters sure. and it's exciting games. And we all get to work uh, on the radio side as, as far as the Rangers go. The TV guys only work the first round, but Dave Maloney and I uh, work every game in the playoffs. And uh, that year, once the Rangers were eliminated, uh, my wife scheduled a trip during the kids' spring break to Florida to the Fountain Blue Hotel. So Brian likes to joke that he sent my family on vacation <laughs> in, uh, in 2010. And the Flyers wound up advancing all the way to the Stanley Cup final that year. But uh, that is the only year, you're right, Mark, during that stretch of 12 years, uh, the Rangers missed the playoffs in game 82. So for the first 12 years of Lundquist's career, he never played a meaningless game. 
never played a game that did not have some kind of an implication. for. It's like 12. that Derek Jeter stat, right? Remember it was the uh, Jeter's final game at Yankee Stadium with the walk-off single. I think that was the only one he played or the only handful that had no implications. Absolutely. It's incredible. Um, all right. If we can switch gears and talk about the Garden's other tenant, if you don't mind, since the anniversary of their first title passed last week, the 50th anniversary of the Knicks first championship. And then, uh, Last weekend, too, the 47th anniversary of their last championship. Um, you've seen this team up close for a long time. Please tell the Nick fans among us that they don't have to wait another 47 years for a championship. No, I think they have a bright future. It's a great leadership group. Uh, Leon Rose coming on as president and uh, Scott Perry remaining as general manager. So I think there's a bright future ahead. And how great was it, Mark? Uh, you know, watching some of the highlights from 1970. Uh, MSG Networks replayed the game from May 8th, Game 7, and I've talked about it with Clyde Frazier on so many occasions. Uh, probably the game of his life, 36 points, 17 assists, 9 rebounds, and it's known as the Willis-Reed game. Uh, Willis hobbled onto the floor uh, during warm-ups and hit his first two shots in the game, and then Clyde took over. So uh, it was terrific getting the opportunity really to watch that game in its entirety for the first time, and to see the post-game interviews and uh, just great memories. You know, you and I were both young at the time, but I sort of remember the back end of that era with Dave DeBusher, Bill Bradley, Willis Reed, Clyde Frazier, right. and Earl Monroe, uh, and Red Holzman coaching. And, of course, with Phil Jackson coming off the bench and uh, watching the last dance over the last five weeks, uh, seeing some highlights from those old NBA games from not only the 70s and 80s but into the 90s have brought back some great memories as well. So we're talking to play-by-play -play announcers and obviously a little play on words with the word play. Um, when you're with the family in this extended time, and, and as you mentioned at the outset, this is day 68 of the quarantine in the New York City area. You playing any board games? We did play uh, Rummy Cube a couple of times. Okay. We, we pulled that out. Um, I did play uh, early on during the quarantine uh, some Scrabble online, some Rummy Cube online as well. We do have a bunch of other board games in the closet downstairs, but I, if memory serves correct, the only one we pulled out so far has been Rummy Cube, which is a personal favorite of mine. You have to give uh, 1010 Wins midday anchor Larry Cantor a little props. He is cleaning my clock in online Scrabble right now. Well, good, good luck over the uh, coming week. I can catch yeah. him. I've, I've got a really good record against almost everybody else, but uh, Larry is just destroying me. Uh, Kenny, when we do get the all clear, aside from working out all of your very complicated travel arrangements, <laughs> what do you expect will be the first thing that you actually do? That's a great question. It, it's, it's all speculation at this point. Um, hopefully, it's uh, – in the not too distant future. And uh, th there's been a lot of different scenarios, as we discussed earlier, thrown out about, about hockey and football, which are the, the two that I do on a full-time basis. So hopefully it's one or both. I know the NFL did release not only the regular season schedule, but the preseason schedule, but it's really all in the hands of, of the scientists and the doctors at this point. And uh, the number one priority of course is testing and a vaccine and, Hopefully when that's all sorted out uh, sooner rather than later, we'll be back to uh, calling sports and doing updates on 1010 wins. By the way, growing up on Long Island, uh, WFAN did not come into play until 1987. Yeah. And I mentioned earlier I didn't have cable. I was a huge 1010 wins fan, 15 and 45, sports updates every hour. I'm ser I'm being serious. Well, it wasn't me 33 years ago. It was not you. 33. <laughs> years ago, but I was a huge Vancouver Canucks fan as a kid for whatever reason. I I'm not sure how that happened. The uniforms had to be the uniforms. It, it was pre. It was pre the uniforms you're referring to. It was when oh, wow. the old black uh, before the black and gold. They had right. the, the green and blue, which they've actually gone back to. Yeah. But I did have the uh, the the red, yellow, and black with the V on the front. I did have that as well. But pre-internet. The only way that I could get Canucks scores, they played late games on the West Coast for the most right. part, uh, would be to turn on 10-10 wins. Huh. And 
I remember on numerous occasions, this is a true story, waking up in the middle of the night at like 2.15, 3.15 a.m. and turning on 10-10 wins just to get the Canucks score. We wouldn't get the box score in the newspaper until two days later. Right. Those games. So 10-10 mm-hmm. uh, wins was really my first uh, introduction. And, and then Sportsphone came along a couple of years later. Um, but 10-10 wins was free. Sportsphone, I think, 10, was 10 cents a call at that time. Mm-hmm. I think at one point uh, during my college years, maybe early in my career, I talked about this in an article. And uh, the general manager of, of 1010 Wins at the time, I can't remember his name, actually sent me a very nice pen, 1010 Wins pen. Oh, with wow. A, with a logo on the side because I had been such a, a big listener back in the day to <laughs> get the Vancouver cutoff score in the middle of the night. Did you ever work at Sportsbook? I did not. I had a lot of friends that worked there. Okay. Um, Rich Ackerman was my college roommate who uh, for many years has been with WFAN and CBS Sports Radio. Mm-hmm. During our college years, he, he was working at Sports Phone, and I had other friends there as well. In high school, though, I was a frequent caller and winner of the Sports Phone quiz. A quickie quiz, uh, yep. Quickie quiz. I would rush home from school at 3.20 every afternoon. Yep. Uh, they would have a quiz question, and um, some of them I knew the answers to. Others I would look up in various books that we had at home. And uh, I remember winning tickets to sporting events, uh, winning various sports books. And I'll run into people sometimes who uh, also were participants in the quickie quiz back in the day. This is back in the uh, early to mid-1980s. But, mm-hmm. uh, again, had a lot of friends that wound up working there. John Giannone, who's the Rangers uh, terrific reporter on MSG, was at Sports Phone for many years. And I always love hearing the old stories about uh, what went on in their studios back in the day. Yeah, it's funny. I tell Howie Carpin that it's basically his fault that I'm in this business because if he and Cangelosi and King Wally, who does the PA for the Knicks, uh, if those guys weren't so good at what they did back in the sports phone days, my interest probably would have waned and I would have gone off to become, you know, policeman, fireman, doctor, airline pilot, whatever else everybody else uh, well, I remember, was doing. Well, I remember all those guys, King Wally, uh, the, all of the guys you mentioned, uh, Andy Roth, who was a sports yep. phone update guy, mm-hmm. uh, Steve Cangelosa, who you mentioned, I remember hearing his updates, and then uh, Michael Kay, Howie Rose, John Giannone, Don LaGreca, they all worked at sports phone. Yep. Jim Cerny, uh, those were the guys who were providing – the New York sports fan with all of their scores before WFAN came in. It's amazing, too, that so many of them went into hockey play-by-play. Right. All those names you mentioned. Part of it might be due to the rapid pace of the rapid delivery that uh, they had to get all the scores in within a one-minute span or else they had to do it over. So I think that rapid-fire delivery probably had something to do with a number of them getting into hockey play-by-play. Yeah. Hey, Kenny, as we wrap things up, um, if you can offer some advice to the generation following us, um, what would it be best piece of advice you could offer? Well, I, I speak to a number of uh, sportscasting camps, college and high school kids every summer, and uh, you're heavily involved with the camp out at Hofstra as well. Um, my first piece of advice is always to get as much experience as possible, whether you're in high school, college, uh, graduated from college, whether it's an internship, working at a school station, even if it's not the exact area that you're interested in, even if you want to be in front of the microphone, in front of the camera, uh, get behind the scenes experience as well. Do some writing for the school paper. It, it, it's all part of it. And I would also recommend if it is sports and play-by-play or studio hosting, uh, also read as much as possible. Soak in as much information as you can because you never know what you might uh, uh, get assigned to uh, in my days in Washington, I was once assigned to work a college wrestling match, and I knew nothing about college wrestling, but I had to study it and, and speak with wrestlers and coaches and, and try to learn uh, what goes into it. It was probably the one event I worked where I really had no clue what I was saying, but um, I think to kids these days uh, who want to get into sports casting, they have such an advantage. When we were young, uh, these camps did not exist, right. so high school students can get a head start uh, three, four, five years before their uh, college days. And the other thing is, when I was in school at NYU, we had a real good Division three basketball program, and myself and my five or six friends slash colleagues at the school radio station would broadcast all the men's and women's basketball games. But 
we had a fight for airtime at the school station with the music department, the DJs. Mm-hmm. The internet didn't exist. These days at so many colleges, you can broadcast games and just about any sport. If it's not on the actual school radio or TV station, you could put it out there on the internet. So there are so many more opportunities out there now than when you and I were in school. Yeah. I tell my students at St. John's, they don't believe me that I read five newspapers every day, cover to cover. I had the Daily News, the Post, Newsday, the Times, and USA Today. Every day, cover to cover. You and I are still old school because up until about five years ago, I still had all five of those newspapers you mentioned delivered to my house. Really? I still get five a day with the exception of Newsday because they stopped delivering to New Jersey. So I replaced Newsday with the Bergen record. Now there I, you go. I do a lot of, I do a lot of work and reading and research online. I'm using my iPad all the time. Mm-hmm. However, I still get real newspapers, five newspapers delivered every day. Um, I can't say I read all of them cover to cover. There's not enough time in the day, right. but I try to read at least what I need to. And um, also get a couple of them on the iPad as well for when I'm away traveling. But, uh, there's just something about an actual newspaper. When you're online and you go to a newspaper website, for example, you can click on the stories that, that you're interested in that you want to read. But when you have the actual newspaper, uh, you see the other stuff that you might not catch online, but it's something that uh, turns out to be important for your research or just for, uh, uh, just for knowledge. And yeah. uh, you don't get that all online when you're just clicking on certain headlines. Yeah. So last thing, um, if you don't mind me asking, uh, we talked about the best advice you would give uh, to up and coming uh, sports broadcasters. Um, what please is the best advice you ever got? Um, and I want to ask it twofold. Um, first from your dad, who obviously had, you know, immense amounts of experience. Did he encourage? Did he discourage? Because I, I think uh, a lot of times when people ask, uh, you know, what's the best advice your dad gave you? Um, he said, uh, you know, something to the effect of find another line of work or, you know, right. go get a marketing degree. Um, so what was the best advice your dad gave you? And then uh, along those lines, what's the best piece of advice you got from a non-family member about getting into this career? You know, when I think back, um, despite my parents giving me a tape recorder for my fifth birthday and I started announcing games in my bedroom uh, off the television into this tape recorder, uh, never once did they say, you have to do this. You have to become a sportscaster. You have to go into broadcasting. Uh, not once. It was something that I always loved and, and decided on my own. So uh, there definitely wasn't discouragement. But um, most of what I learned from him was really via osmosis and sitting next to him and um, just observing in hotel rooms. The biggest thing I learned was the preparation. I would watch him in a hotel room on a Saturday night, finishing up his work for an NFL game the next day until 2 in the morning or for a Knicks or Rangers game, uh, hopping back and forth between WNBC and the Garden and then back for the 11 o'clock news. So I can honestly say everything I learned was from observing and watching and listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like he sat me down and gave me a lesson uh, even once. It, it was just um, I would put my antenna up and, and pay attention to just about everything. As far as a piece of advice from someone else, that, that's a tough question. Um, I guess I'd have to go back to my days in Washington with home team sports and I was hired to do the Capitals games. And I think all of us early in our careers, um, you know, you do all this preparation and homework and you try to force some of it in. You use too much of your research just to kind of prove to the bosses that you've done the work right? and to justify them hiring you. And I remember early in my career with the Capitals, there were probably some games where I, I forced in too much of this information and you'll learn along the way, we've all done it, that you have to let the game tell the story, let the game come to you. And I do remember uh, speaking with Bill Brown, one of the bosses at home team sports at the time and a, a great friend for many, many years. And I think he pointed out that, Hey, look, we know you did the work. We know you do the research and the homework. Uh, you don't have to force as much information. And that was a good lesson because um, you're always trying to prove yourself. But I think I learned, uh, during that conversation that you probably would only use 10 to 15% of your information mm-hmm. in a given broadcast. You don't necessarily have to force it in to prove yourself. Did you get to work with uh, Jeff Rimmer back in those days or was he gone already? Well, I, I did know Jeff very well um, because we were both play-by-play guys. We never actually worked a broadcast together, but um, he was working in Washington 
it was a split package at the time. So I did the home games on home team sports and Jeff did the away games on channel 20 WDCA. So we were both with the Capitals organization. He also did a talk show on WBAL in Baltimore. So I would listen. I would often run into him at Orioles games and other events. Um, We actually, I, I take that back, Mark. We did one period of a hockey game together during one of my early years with the Rangers there was a scheduling snafu and uh, John Davidson had a national game elsewhere. So my partner at the time, Sal Messina was working the game on TV with Sam Rosen and due to, due to a scheduling mix up, uh, they did not send a color analyst on the radio side to Florida for that game. Huh. Nobody realized it until the last minute. Oh, God. So Jeff Rimmer was doing the Florida Panthers at the time. They were not broadcasting that game. He did color with me for one period. So we actually did work one period together, but he's a good friend. I see him whenever the Rangers play Columbus and have uh, great memories. He, he would, we had a mutual friend, so we would all get together for holidays when I was single and living in, in Washington at the time. Uh, on a couple of occasions, I would get together with Jeff and his family and this other friend of ours as well on holidays. Yeah, I hear home team sports, and I think back to that magical summer of 89 with the Orioles when I was down on the Eastern Shore. And it was uh, Jeff was doing Capitals, and he did some some Orioles stuff. Mel right. Proctor and John yeah. Lowenstein did the Orioles games that summer. And, right, and, and so I would I would I would fill in for Mel Proctor when I was doing the Capitals games. If he had uh, a conflict, he did the Bullets and the Orioles at the right. time. Yeah. So in April, if there were an overlap, I would fill in for him on one of those games. And uh, home team sport, it was a great place. It was one of the early, really successful regional sports networks. They had the Capitals, the Bullets, and the Orioles. Larry King was one of their original studio hosts for Capitals yep. Hockey. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did a great job. It was it was a, an honor and a pleasure to work there for the three years that I was uh, working with the Capitals and HTS at the time. Well, speaking of an honor and a pleasure, sir, this has been, for me, an honor and a pleasure. It's been great to catch up with you. I thank you for doing this. Uh, continued good health. And uh, again, fingers and toes crossed that we get to see each other in person, be it uh, at a baseball stadium or a basketball slash hockey arena or uh, worst case scenario when the NFL season kicks off in uh, September. Well, Mark, really enjoyed it uh, going down memory lane uh, to you and your family as well. Stay healthy, stay safe. Love listening to you on the radio and uh, running into you at Hofstra in the summer at the sports casting camp and Hopefully, uh, instead of doing this over over Zoom on the computer, we will see each other at a sporting event real soon. I will look forward to it. That's Kenny Albert. I'm Mark Arnay. Hey, Kenny, thanks for stopping off to play-by-play with me. Thanks, Mark.